Everything else buried. I was buried beneath my shame. And who could carry that kind of weight? It was my dream. Till I met you And I was breathing But not alive All my failures I tried to hide Please remain standing For the reading of God's word And it's from Matthew chapter 2 And if you have your own Bibles with you, I hope you do, please open to that because we're going to be referring to that. I'd like you to keep your Bibles open because I'm not going to have the verses on the screen. I want you to look them up in your own Bible. So Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story that has a lot of rich meaning for us. So help us as we look through this to see what you would have us see and hear what you would have us hear. And we pray that you would be honored and glorified by this lesson today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, I'm asking you, please keep your Bibles open. <clears throat> um, the first thing we're going to do is something a little unusual. Um, we're going to look at a little nursery rhyme that I bet all of you are familiar with. So go ahead and put that on the screen. Okay. Now, let's read this together, okay? I think you all know it. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Now, question for the ages. 
Who or what was Humpty Dumpty? What? An egg. Okay, almost, almost of the paintings and pictures, cartoons show him as an egg. Okay, we put that, put that back up on the screen. Where in that rhyme does it say Humpty Dumpty was an egg? Okay, it doesn't. Now, you can take it off now. <laughs> You're probably wondering, why is a message on the wise man beginning with Humpty Dumpty? Well, because, like Humpty Dumpty, the story of the wise man is full of our culture's assumptions and traditions that are not in the Scripture or in any historical writings. There are a lot of assumptions and traditions about the wise men. For example, were there three? How many were there? Where were they from? What were their names? Did they follow the star all the way from the east to Jerusalem? Was it really a star? Did they ride camels? Were they kings? We just sang, we three kings. Were they really kings? And were they at the manger with the shepherds? Now, as we go through the lesson today, I intend to address all of those questions. If I forget one, let me know afterwards. But all we know about the wise men is what Matthew has written in chapter 2 of his gospel and some historical background by first century Roman historians. The purpose of Matthew's gospel is not to show who the wise men were. It's to show Jesus as king. The bottom line is it's not about the wise men. It's about who Jesus is. That's the real story, the story of all the Bible. And we can see this right at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. If you go back a page to chapter 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew's purpose is to show Jesus as king, and right there it is. He is the son of David, and everyone knew that the prophecies that the Messiah was coming through the line of David. So he had a legal right to the throne because he was the son of David. And then, after he talks about his birth, he starts chapter 2 showing how the response, there's a response to his birth that also shows that he's a king. So, who were the wise men? Who were the magi? Well, the magi, magi actually is an untranslatable word. It refers to a priestly tribe from the people of Media, the Medes, like the Levites were to Judaism. They were set apart as priests, like the Levites. They were skilled in philosophy, in science, medicine, fortune-telling. They were interpreters of dreams men of wisdom and considered holy. In fact, in Persia, they could not, sacrifices could not be offered unless a magi was present. Now, we have a map of what was known as the Parthian Empire. Um, Well, I'll refer to that a little bit um, in a moment. The wise men came into prominence during the Babylonian Empire because of their wisdom and knowledge and occultic abilities, they grew in political power and became advisors to king. We met some of them in Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar had that dream. In Persia, they were, became so powerful 
that they could, one could not become king unless they had mastered the scientific and religious disciplines of the Magi, and then they had to be approved by the Magi, and they were the ones that crowned him as king. So they, be, they were not kings, they became known as king makers. Now in this map, that, that's the Parthian Empire. And if you've never heard of Parthia, by the way, you find it also in Acts chapter 2, where the disciples are speaking in tongues of diff- different languages. And it says, the people heard in all these different languages, Greek or whatever it is, but Parthians are one of the ones mentioned. So that purple area is the Parthian Empire. Over on the left, you see the last part of the word empire, that's the Roman Empire. Rome owned everything to the west of that. Now between that, the Mediterranean Sea and the Parthian Empire, is, and down south a little bit, is Palestine. Israel, Syria, Lebanon, that's all right there in the middle. It was kind of a buffer zone between the two empires. Now you remember in the Old Testament, of course, God allowed Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar to conquer Jerusalem because of their idolatry. Prominent young men were carried off into captivity to serve the king, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so on. And they probably would have shared the hope that a Messiah was coming. They probably would have shared that a king would arise in Israel through their scriptures and their prophecies. And you remember when Nebuchadnezzar had these weird dreams, and, and he called in his, his magicians, his fortune tellers, and so on to interpret. Those were the magi of, the, of that day. He called them in, and they had no clue. First of all, Nebuchadnezzar told them not just to interpret the dream. He said, tell me what I dreamed. They're going, what? Nobody can do that. But Daniel was called in, and he did, because of God gave him what the dream was and gave him the interpretation. So Daniel rose to a place of prominence in Babylon because of his wisdom and because God was with him. He was the only one who could interpret the dreams. In Daniel 5.11, it says that Nebuchadnezzar had appointed Daniel, quote, chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. In other words, he was the chief of all the magi. It doesn't say he was a magi, but he was over them all. Now, later in Daniel's life, Babylon falls. Um, The Medo-Persian Empire conquers Babylon. You may remember this story. The King Belshazzar, the last king in, in Babylon, He was a bad king. But he was having this drunken orgy party, and he did a lot of things that really angered God. And so during the party, remember what happened? This hand appears, no arm or anything, just a hand appears and writes on the wall, the handwriting on the wall. And so everybody panics. They call in all the wise men. What is this? What is this? What does it say? What does it mean? They had no clue. But the queen mother remembers Daniel, and they send for him, and he comes in, and he reads it and says, God has found you, God is angry with you. (laughs) He has weighed you in the balance and found you wanting. You're going away. You're toast. And your kingdom is going to be uh, taken over by the Persians. So that's what happened that night. When the Persians took over, or the Medes took over, kind of a similar country, it's complicated explain the relationship. But anyway, when they took over, 
The kingdom was divided into 120 provinces with governors or satraps over each one. And then there were three administrators over all of them. Daniel was one of those administrators. So he no doubt shared the knowledge of the scriptures with the Magi. He was well respected. Some were envious of him, but that's another story. But he was respected by the Magi. And so we see here that as Matthew was talking about, God is still on the throne. We see here that God was controlling history. God was setting the scene 600 years before it happened so that when the Messiah was born, some of those magi, 600 years later, would find their way to a house in Bethlehem. Now, let's leave this up there again still for a while. There's another major character in this drama, and that is King Herod. Now, about the time Jesus was born, you see that there's, there's a bit of isolation between the Roman Empire and the Parthian Empire. There's a lot of desert, and then there's the Mediterranean Sea. This kind of bothered Rome, because they always looked at the Parthian Empire with suspicion. They didn't know what was going on over there. And if there's anything, Rome, Rome was so spread out, their empire, that they had to be sure they kept the peace everywhere because they couldn't be every, all those places at once and defend them all. So it was always a, a worry for Rome. And there were power struggles. And there were a couple of wars fought. In 55 BC, the Rome, Romans and the Parthians had a, had a war. And in 40 BC, there was a war. Guess where the battles were fought? <laughs> In that buffer zone. So Herod, who was half Jew and half Edomaean, that means an Edomite, he had no royal lineage. He was not descended of David or any other king. He was appointed. He, he uh, had worked his way up to being a, a ruler over part of Israel. And when the Parthians attacked in 40 BC, Herod was very ambitious got an idea. He got on a ship and went to Rome. And he got to see the Roman Senate and told them that if he was given an army and authority, he could take care of the situation. Just trust me. Well, the Senate, the Roman Senate, believed him, and they gave him an army of some crack troops. And they also gave him authority. They gave him a title king of the Jews. Now you can see where the problem is coming. Well, it took Herod three years, but he finally did restore peace and Roman control to the area. Now Herod did some good things for Israel. However, he was insanely suspicious and jealous. Here's the short list of those that he murdered because they were threats to his kingdom. His favorite wife, his first two sons, and then five days before he died, he had a third one murdered. And in fact, as he knew he was going to be dying someday, he knew that he was unpopular, he knew he was hated. People, When he died, people would go, probably good riddance. So he rounded up all prominent Jews in the area and had them imprisoned with the order that on the day he died, they were all to be executed. He wanted to be sure that there was mourning on the day that he died. Caesar Augustus once said, 
It was safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. All right, let's look at verses. So there's the background. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So when the Magi saw this star, they probably looked and said, Hey, guys, come here, look at this. And they went through and looked at their records and looked at their scriptures, found some of these prophecies that had been taught by Daniel and others, and decided, we need to go find out what's going on. I have a, there's a picture of the wise men following the star. Yeah, that's our typical greeting card picture, right? In Ezra chapter 7, verses 8 through 10, it says that Ezra and the Israelites, when they came back to Israel's the group that he came with, it took them four months to get there, to make the journey. When we look at this and see there's three wise men by themselves riding camels, probably not. There's no way that these important, powerful king makers would have been allowed to ride across a thousand miles of desert on camels, slow-moving camels, unarmed, all by themselves. Well, probably what, it, what happened was, the con- first of all, the concept of these three, I forgot to mention that, of having three, came about in the third century. It was later, that, uh, after Jesus was born. And the tradition of their names, Melchior, Belshazzar, and Caspar, didn't appear until about the sixth century. They were not of any orig- first century origin or biblical origin. So these wise men coming from the east would not have been riding camels. They would have been riding horses. They would have been traveling with several hundred soldiers, including cavalry. And their cargo would have been on camels. They would have had worn these wild flowing robes and these conical hats. Think wizards, Harry Potter. And they entered the city with great pomp. Be like having a president or other head of state ride into a, a town all by himself, shive into town. No, there was a motorcade, all kinds of vehicles around, secret servicemen everywhere. It was that kind of thing for these wise men. <clears throat> Some translations, I think the King James does, and maybe yours does, would say, um, during the time of King Herod, it would say, lo, magi from the east, or behold, magi from the east. Do any of your translations say that? Behold, wise men from the east? So somebody's nodding. Okay. Um, Basically, it means it's something unexpected, something amazing was happening. Like, oh, wow, wise men from the east are coming. And it says that these kingmakers were looking for a king. Where's the one born king of the Jews? So it says when king, um, so this would have upset a lot of people. In verse 3, it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they read from Micah chapter 5. First of all, he was born king of the Jews. Herod was appointed king of the Jews. Secondly, a king for the Parthian Empire would mean that this 
king would grow up, go back to the Parthian Empire, go, and go back to his homeland, and, and raise an army. And he would come back and attack Rome. That would mean war. They didn't want that, because remember where all the battles would be fought. And third, there was Herod's jealousy and his rage. There would be blood when Herod finds out. The Greek form of the word that they were asking is, implies that they kept on asking. They didn't just ask one time. said, oh, well, okay. No, they kept on asking. Everyone they met, they would ask. So the people were probably very bewildered about what they were asking. And the wise men were probably bewildered that nobody knew what they were talking about. How could you miss this? Wait a minute. There's this big, we saw this big star, and you have all these prophecies. Don't you know the answer to this? Where is he? No, they didn't. So when Herod finds out, of course, he comes up with a scheme. See, this is what Matthew wants us to see. Jesus is born king. And these Gentile kingmakers from Persia recognize that. The Jewish world didn't seem to understand at all. Or they didn't care. This fits the scripture from John 1.11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 9. After they had, well, first of all, let's finish verse 8, 7 and 8. Herod tells the wise men to go find the child and come back to him because he doesn't want to worship him. He wants to find out where he is so he can kill him. So verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Notice that it says the star they had seen in the east. We've had a lot of interpretations in, in Christmas carols that talk about the star of the east, or the star in the east. If the star had been in the east, the wise men were fools. They should have gone to China. Okay? The star was in the west. The wise men were in the east when they saw it. Okay? Um, And then stops over the place where the child was. So, why were they overjoyed? Why were the wise men overjoyed? Well, unlike this picture, where the star is leading them all the way across the desert, they were overjoyed because the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them. The reason was they hadn't seen the star. We don't know how long that star was out there. Maybe just the one night, maybe a few nights, but whatever it was, it disappeared. The wise men saw that star, decided, we're going to set out. We know the prophecies. We're going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is that way. It's a big city. Can't miss it. So they went that way. And they, so when they were asking around, and they found out it's in Bethlehem, So they head out towards Bethlehem, and then the star comes back. And so they're excited. They're on the right track. Everything's been, everything has worked well. We know what we're doing now. So what was the star? Well, there's a lot of uh, definitions of that, or a lot of conjecture on that. Some say it was a combination of a couple of planets, conjunction of a couple planets, like Saturn and and, and Jupiter, which did happen in 7 BC, a few years earlier. It wasn't this. Some have said all all kinds of different things. It might have just been a, a special star that God created just for that purpose. 
In Numbers 24, verse 17, we're going way back now. It says, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. The Hebrew word for star here is chobah, which doesn't necessarily mean a literal star, but a shining or a blazing forth. It might have been, some think, the Shekinah glory of God. Now, why would we say that? This is just a a theological theory. But first of all, we'll ask ourselves the question, why didn't everybody see the star? We've had Christmas pageants that talk about, oh, look at people in Bethlehem looking up and going, this is this weird big star out there. What is that? What does that mean? Well, obviously, the people in Bethlehem and Judea and all Jerusalem, they didn't see it. Because God chooses to reveal his glory to those to whom he chooses to reveal it, and not to others. People in Jerusalem, Bethlehem, didn't see it. Only these Gentiles a thousand miles away. There's an interesting story in in Exodus chapter 14, where the Israelites come up against the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is behind them. And the Israelites were being led, you remember, by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it says when they got to this point, the angel and the pillar of cloud that had been leading them in front moved to the rear, behind the Israelites. It came in between them and the Egyptians. And then it says, it brought light to the Israelites, but darkness to the Egyptians. They didn't see that light. It was the glory of God. There he chose to re- not to reveal it to the Egyptians. They didn't see it. And we also see that Moses, when he was up on the mountain, he saw the glory of God or part of the glory of God, and his face shone so bright he had to put a veil over it because people couldn't look at it. Whenever God appears, there's this blazing forth, this light. It was at Jesus' transfiguration. It was hit Paul on his way to Damascus when he was converted. But it was also one other place the night Jesus was born. In Luke, we say what? There were shepherds watching over their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were scared to death. Blazing light when God's glory appears. And who knows, I just thought of this myself, but I think, (laughs) that Maybe that glory that the shepherd saw is what the wise men saw a thousand miles away. As God chooses to reveal himself to whom he chooses to reveal himself. But just a thought. So the wise men, it says here in verse 10, when they saw the, oh, I'm sorry, 11, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 10, 11, on coming to the house, notice, not the stable, no manger, no shepherds, They were long gone. They came to a house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and myrrh. Some of your translations say incense. This one says incense. Some say frankincense. Okay. Now, they bowed down and worshipped. Now, I've got the word, Greek word, for worship here is proskuneo, and we have a slide, because I know you would all want to see what that means, because you're all interested in learning the Greek. 
to worship, to stoop, to kiss, stooping down to kiss one's feet or foot. It is a picture of stooping down to kiss the foot of someone, a monarch, paying homage to them, showing honor, humbling yourself before someone who is greater than you. See, the wise men gave to this child that which was only reserved for God. They worshipped by their posture and their costly gifts. Now look at these gifts. We sang about them. Gold, pretty obvious. Gold is meant for a king. It is the most precious metal there is. Solomon's temple had gold everywhere because it was the best, only the best for God. All kinds of gold in there. Frankincense. Now we just saw this. We just sang about this. Frankincense to offer have I. Incense owns a deity nigh. Right? The incense means there is a God here. God is here. It was used in the Old Testament as offerings, along with their birth offerings, that the, the aroma would go up to, to heaven and be pleasing to God. And then there is myrrh. Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume breathes the life of gathering gloom. Myrrh is meant for a man because it is, was used in preparing a body for burial. It was meant for a mortal. So Matthew is pointing out that these gifts are for a king, for a god, and for a man. So besides being symbolic of those things, these gifts would have also financed Mary and Joseph's escape to Egypt, where they would have had to have lived for a few months until Herod dies. Reading verse 12, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So the wise women went back, the, back uh, home another way. They didn't go back to Herod. When Herod finds out, he is really enraged. And so he carries out his plan by having the soldiers go into Bethlehem and kill all the male babies two years old and under. Why two years? Probably because he, didn't, he wanted to be sure he didn't miss him. Maybe another proof that Matthew is putting in here that Jesus was king, because why would Herod be so threatened? Now the wise men, it says, said earlier, We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Why did they make that trip? Why did they go a thousand miles for four months to worship? They traveled all that distance to worship him. That was their reason for coming. The Magi were known as king makers. But the thing was for this, and I think they knew it, they didn't make this king. Jesus did not go through all the scientific and religious disciplines that you usually had to go to to crown him as king. And the Magi didn't crown him as king. They just came to recognize, to honor him as king, and to worship him, and to offer themselves and to offer their gifts as king. He was already there as king and lord. So what can we learn about worship from the Magi? Well, worship, first of all, is declaring the greatness of someone. It is to show reverence or adoration. It is to hold something with such reverence and honor and high esteem that the only thing you desire is to bow down before it. 
It is not something trivial. It is not something you do without thinking. We sometimes come to worship as a habit because it's Sunday morning. Or do we come to bow down in homage before our Lord and King, our God? Right from the start, you see that Jesus was not received by his own, right? There was no room at the inn. There was no room uh, among the religious leaders. There was no room among his own people. And Jesus told his disciples, also in Matthew chapter 10, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And he goes on to say, I've come to turn a mother against a daughter, a father against a son, and so on. Everybody's relatives would be fighting each other. So what about peace on earth? What about all the Christmas cards that say peace on earth? Goodwill to men. Well, Jesus comes into our world to bring us peace with God. He doesn't bring, come to bring an end to war. One of my favorite Christmas carols is, goes like this. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's the peace. We have been at war with God since the Garden of Eden, right? In rebellion against him. Jesus comes to make that reconciliation, to bring us back together to God. The problem is that Jesus brings with him troubling decisions. There were troubling decisions then. Herod had to decide what to do with his throne. The people of Jerusalem had to decide whether it was more advantageous to to, uh, fear God or to fear Herod. A king is born, one commentator said, but a king is already here and there's only room for one king. So we must decide if he's to be ignored gotten rid of, or make him ruler of our lives. And this is why Jesus follows up the peace on earth saying by saying, anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He kind of turns the whole ideas of peace on earth upside down, doesn't it? There's a story about Admiral Nelson, Horatio Nelson, the great British naval hero of the uh, 18th century. He was a great hero, but he also had a reputation of showing consideration and kindness to those that he defeated. And there's a story that on one occasion, the defeated uh, admiral, knowing Nelson's reputation, came aboard to surrender with a sword by his side and kind of presumed on Nelson's kindness and offered his hand in surrender. Nelson looked at him for a few seconds and then replied, Your sword first, and then your hand. God has offered us peace in the midst of our war against his control over us. But we have to accept his terms of surrender. He wants us to surrender all of our lives to him. He wants us to accept that Jesus is King, God, Savior, That he's the only way to heaven. He's the only way to God. We are to love and serve and obey him above all else because he is the all in all. Unless we do that, we don't really have peace. 
But the wise men, by their gifts and by their, by their posture, showed that they were willing to surrender their high and mighty titles to the one who was born King and God. Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come let us adore Him. Christ the For He alone.